Welcome to the Living Room Disciple Podcast. And we are, we're live. We're live. That's Nick on a guitar right there. <laughs> we're not going to really restart ex- that, huh? Nope. We're just going for it, Nick. And I, I'm really excited today because we are going to be diving into a conversation around... Uh, what does it mean as a church to be influenced by technology and should we as a church lean into being more analog and to stay on theme with the episode we're going about as analog as we can which means we're doing one take and it's also because our producer is currently out of the country so she's not here to edit our video but look thank you so much for being with us today we're excited about this conversation Welcome to the Living Room Disciple Podcast, where discipleship finds a home. Round of applause. (laughs) Round of applause. Oh, my gosh. So usually that piece composed by Daniel Ramirez is usually like, you know, it's just a track we add later. And you just crushed it on the acoustic all live. Proud of you. Yeah, something like that. It's like you do this for a living. Something like that. Yeah, exactly right. Nick, how you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. All right. So yeah. we're going to dive into the conversation around the church and being analog. But I want to start with this question. Have you heard of the butterfly effect before? You mean like where a producer of a podcast goes on a mission trip <laughs> and then you have to record a podcast all in one take? Because <laughs> Sure. No, I, think yeah. that's, I think that's just cause and effect. The that butterfly effect. You so you mean where something really small happens, but but things outside of that thing continue happening because of that thing, and eventually, like something massive mm-hmm. happens because a butterfly flapped mm-hmm. its wings on the other side of the world. I am familiar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about this when it comes to technology in the church, right? So the idea, right? The it's a hypothetical, but like, does if a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the world, does it cause like a tornado or something on the other? And the idea is, is you don't always know the effect of the little things you do now. And, you know, I think one of the areas, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, everyone will have already had a chance to listen to the interview with Jay Kim on artificial intelligence. And kind of the theme that I, I got from that conversation in part was to go slow as a church, in part because we don't really know what the effects of AI are going to be. No doubt. And I was thinking a bit through his book, Analog Church and Analog Christian, about the effects that technology has already had on the church, positive and Mm -hmm. negative. And there's been definitely both. Um, But I think an easy one could be, I, I don't think when someone began introducing PowerPoint to the sermons that they were teaching, right, which I think especially at the time, I guess maybe not PowerPoint, but like overhead projectors, like back in the day. Yeah. You know, like just the idea of like, you know, clear transparencies. <laughs> oh man, <that> was... <laughs> I remember that. Um, so back in the day, right. The people who were doing that, the, the, the early adopters of that technology really, I think we're just trying to make biblical truths more attainable for more people, mm-hmm. which I think is really good. I don't think they ever expected that whenever sermons are taught, it feels like in the Western church, there's a formula that's been adopted now. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Introduction usually includes a story or a joke, right? Insert biblical passage, exegesis from it, three main points. Hmm. End with powerful message and perhaps a piano. And I'm not trying to make fun of anything. I'm really not. But like, I also like a lot of us are like, yes, how is it thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors do almost that identical like song and dance every Sunday? Well, it could be tracked to a few different things. But one of them is the, the adoption of a technology that leans into that format. And I guess my question to you is, you, you know, like, um, is there anything else kind of like technology wise that we you've seen the way our churches have changed maybe the last 20, 30, 40 years. And you can, you feel like you can see some through line back to the technology mm. that we've been adopting. Yeah. And I think there are pros and cons all the way around. I mean, a, a sermon preached that way can be incredibly engaging. Three yes. main points can be very memorable, easy to take mm-hmm. notes on and revisit there. There's lots of benefits to that, that style of preaching. There's also lots of benefits to having, whether it's a, a projector um, with, with transparencies or, or whether it's a, a massive computer running a double wide HD pro presenter, yeah. all the, all the full nine yards. Um, either way, you can do something where you add in, not just hearing with your ears, but seeing with your eyes and, and kind of mm-hmm. doubling up on, on the reinforcing the point being made in the sermon or reinforcing the scripture um, with, with visual cues. Um, so I think there are massive benefits there. Um, but yeah, I see your point. And mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm thinking of the version app, like how many people have the Bible oh, yeah. in their pockets because of the version app. But on the flip side, how many people do their devotional on their phone and then get a text halfway through and all of a sudden they're, they're distracted, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. Or how many people don't bring their, their Bible to church anymore because it's on their phone, mm-hmm. which I don't, I don't know if that's a bad or because it's on the screen. I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. I don't know if that really matters, but, but it's worth thinking about. Um, carrying a physical yeah. paper Bible versus um, just bringing your phone to church and trusting that they're going to throw it on the screen. Um, yeah. Also which being aware I, that I, I would even argue just about that, you know, by which I mean, putting verses on the screen, I yeah. wonder, and I, and I don't know, you know, we're kind of hypothesizing kind of like imagining right now for a moment. Has that led to people not looking at context of verses? Right. Cause like huh, how easy it is to just throw a verse up. But when I have my Bible with me in a church service, I I just tend to start reading the verses before and after the one. That, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't sure. know if that's a normal thing for other people to do. I don't know. Yeah, no, and I do I that always too. Kind of. Okay, so maybe I mean I don't know. Hypothetical. I'd love to hear from you know our audience at some point. Send us a message. Like, are we alone in this? That when you have your Bible with you, you tend to read before and after and get a bigger sense of the context. But if it's just on the screen. It's easier to stay disengaged and easier to just, okay. And all I'm trying to say yeah. is, and, and you're getting it like knowing how a technology is going to affect us is really hard. And it's, it's not always a net positive for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think we can also, um, take the, it's easy. Like we've had, over the last probably about 40 years, maybe 50 years in the American church, there's been what has been lovingly called the worship wars. Do we do traditional hymns or do we do contemporary music? Oh gosh. Um, I which is, that had a name by the way. <laughs> like, oh know. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, it is a common cause of 
church splits of having churches having separate services so their church isn't gathered mm. as one body they worship separately in one building because they like different kinds of music as if that is what binds us together or anyway um and yeah. what what's funny is when people point out well you know the hymns once were hated for the same reason that contemporary music like a lot of a lot of our hymns are bar tunes that were taken and re the lyrics yeah. were rewritten to be yeah so so yeah. a lot of traditionalists in the 1700s say don't sing that <laughs> don't sing that nonsense you got to do your gregorian chants or whatever um yeah and and it's pointed out that you know people have always complained about what's new always in, you think back mm. to things that are that feel so old to us and at the time people complained yeah. people thought newspapers were going to ruin the world because people shouldn't have information that quickly or, you know I'm not there's always they been. didn't nick i'm not hey. convinced they didn't <laughs> but, but <laughs> i don't know we, we, we're always complaining about what's new because yeah. we're used to what we're used to um and so i think it's also helpful to look back and say there was a time when a an average christian most Christians did not have a paper Bible. So if we say yeah. it's really not good for a Christian to go to church without carrying their Bible with it, well, then we're leaving out the first 1500 years of the church. Um, so we should be careful yeah. with, yeah, with statements like that because the printing press was a modern new technology at one point. We, we take it for mm -hmm. granted that a bound printed book is something that, that we should have and it feels old fashioned to us and it feels rooted in history. Um, mm. but it, it used to be a new technology. Um, so I think we, we need to be aware of that. And, and I would say overwhelmingly the, the results of the printing press are a good thing. We've seen over the last 500 years that that butterfly effect, if you will, has been, has been positive, a net positive. Yeah. Um, I think so. But yeah. I, yeah. But I think, I think with technology, we need to be careful of, we need to be careful of adopting it too quickly. Like we talked about with Jay Kim, but we also have to be careful about being against it just because it's new and not having any better reasons than that. I, so I'm, I'm tracking with you, although I'm still just against AI, maybe because it's new. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I've got something I need to deal with internally probably, but I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on, cause, cause I think we have to have some, some level of bar barometer to identify whether or not Without. something's helping or hurting. You know what I mean? And I think for a long time, the barometer has been in the evangelical church, can we use it? And the phrasing they would use would be to further the gospel, hmm. which I think makes a lot of sense. Like I'm tracking with that. The problem is it it's less about furthering the gospel, I think. For the record, I think people's intention is to further the gospel. I would just maybe yeah. say the results tend not to be to further the gospel, but to to more widely spread the message of hmm. the gospel. And I think somebody's going to be like, Phil, I feel like you're splitting hairs here. What's the difference between those two? And what I would say is that, um, you know, when we're talking about making disciples, it takes more than just... And I'm going to be facetious, but I, I think everyone's going to get the point. Putting a one-liner that summarizes the gospel on a billboard does not create disciples. And I think a lot of people will be like, obviously, Phil. And to which I would say that that 30-minute sermons on Sunday morning do not make disciples. Facebook posts don't make disciples. I don't think podcasts make disciples. Um, 
And it's not to say that these things cannot contribute to the holistic life of a disciple. I'm, I don't want to say that. All of those things can be a part. But what makes disciples are people. <laughs> no doubt. People in loving, intimate relationships like Jesus was mm -hmm. in a loving, intimate relationship with his disciples. He, he was in relationship with them. He knew them. He understood them. He interacted with them. He taught from a place of relational capital and um, in, in, a, in a place of modeling. Um, when he talked about generosity and giving, he could he'd also say the son of man doesn't even have a place like lay his head tonight. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> like, he, you know, it wasn't, he, he did it relationally. And so I think that when we're talking about furthering the gospel, my personal belief and conviction is that if you, if you do something that allows you to, to circumvent relationship for the sake of efficiency, you've mm. not furthered the gospel, though you may have more mass media spread a message. You've not necessarily made disciples. And I think people would generally agree with that. But I think where the disagreement comes in would be, I would say, then, then you need to make some changes. And when we evaluate technology, the evaluation should be, is this technology going to in some way, shape or form, I'm going to use it, technology term because it's funny short circuit hmm. uh the relationship hey. Hey, hey you're welcome everyone uh right like like does this thing create a culture in the church that moves us away or makes it more difficult or adds a barrier to relationship and, and i think that's where the real meat and potatoes of the analog yeah conversation is although i guess we should probably just define what we mean by analog now that we're like 15 minutes into this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first, let, let let me say, I think last mm -hmm. week, or not last week, but when you, you and Jake Kim talked, um, I think y'all talked about Google kind of being the replacement of either just having to wonder about something or going yeah. to somebody and asking a question. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think we can trace almost any technology to basically that same idea because I mean, you go all the way back to, to the printing press we were just talking about. And before that, people didn't have their own copy of the Bible. If they needed to know what John 3.16 said, they couldn't mm -hmm. go check. They had to rely on somebody else or ask somebody else that did know yeah. what John 3.16 said, right? Um, or if they didn't understand the verse that they heard preached at church on Sunday, they had to ask the person next to them after church or they had to go to the mm -hmm. pastor and talk, mm -hmm. right? You couldn't, you couldn't Google or you couldn't go home to get your Bible and, and look at the verse and read it in context and understand more. You also couldn't go home and Google it. You couldn't consult commentaries. Mm -hmm. You couldn't find books about it. Um, and, and yeah, exactly what you're talking about where we've, we've found ways to short circuit discipleship, um, and, and really take away opportunities for discipleship mm -hmm. because we can just do things without needing other people because other people are not efficient. Right. Um, but I, I'm thinking back to, the 1940s and 50s and 60s and even the Billy Graham revival movement and and the just the um the tracks that would be passed out with with little gospel yeah. presentations about yeah. you know and in a sense that's a that's a technology that was used to individualize the gospel that here's what the gospel is it's it's you're a sinner but God loves you so you can be saved so you can go to heaven when you die because Jesus died on the cross yeah. for your sins 
And all every single step of that gospel is you, 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 your, your, your. It's a very individualized. It's not about Jesus as the savior and the king of the world. It's it's about Jesus coming to to be a personalized savior. Um, and in a yeah. sense, it's because it was efficient for the technology that that we had. Um, and I think there's some pushback yeah. on that individualized gospel now. Um, but but it's become so rooted in our Christian culture, I think in, in large part because it was convenient with the technologies that we've had. Um, mm. And so you, you talked about defining analog. Um, what does it look like to be analog in the sense that we are people who are with people, right? We're, we're not yeah. people who are defined by our technology, but we are people with other people. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. That's like, I think that's the rub. It, 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 when we're looking at what does analog mean, and when we say, because I, I think some people are familiar with that term, maybe some aren't. By analog, we just mean tactile, right? So it's technically the term, right? So you have an analog button, which is like a button when you click it, it's like a button, you can feel it. And then, you know, like you might have a button on like a screen, like a touch screen. That's not analog, that's like, you know, haptic, you know. So analog is something you can touch, feel, see, like it's impre it's in, it's present in front of you. You can feel it. You can touch it. And, you know, I, I, I would make the argument that as, as we are being formed to be more like Christ, for us in 2023, I don't know if this is the case for the entire church history, so I don't want to indicate that. But I think for us in the 2023 American church, we need to push deeper into more analog expressions of our faith which does not necessarily indicate that virtual or technological expressions of our faith are sinful or wrong i just think they're unwise at this stage um and i, I think the reason for that is oftentimes as we're talking about we have accidentally uh, we, we've missed the main thing. Mm. And I know everyone's gonna be like, I know the main thing is Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. But Jesus says, like, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And then he says, like, love one another, like I've loved you. And like, I think one, it's so easy to not give your money to people you're not intimate relationship with, right? Because you're not hearing about a need on Facebook puts you in a position where you can give like 20 bucks to like a GoFundMe and feel good about yourself. And I'm not saying that's wrong and you shouldn't, you, you know, feel a sense of like, I'm happy I contributed. But, but maybe, you know, being at someone's house and seeing the needs around that house and seeing the difficulties that that family is going through tends to empty our pockets a little bit quicker <laughs> in, a, in a much holier, more sacrificial way, you know? Um, being in, you know, talking to someone, hearing their story, not through Facebook posts or, you know, Twitter feeds. I mean, those are not bad things, but, but moving away from that and saying that, like, I need to understand this person in face to face, eye to eye contact where I can see them, smell them, be a part of their messy existence, whether that's messy, literally or messy, like <laughs> metaphorically. And then in that relationship, I think we we can actually live the gospel hmm. instead of communicating the gospel, you know. Um, and those should be synonymous. Communicating and living it should be, but but unfortunately, I think we're at a point where we do need to differentiate the two. 
Um, and, I, and I really do think that the reliance on technology that the American church has leaned into in my lifetime and probably prior to my lifetime has created the type of church experience that many of us know about in which you can be a part of a church without actually having to be the church hmm. that you can give money in a way that's sterile and removes you from the community still, right? You can, you can give your tithe, like you pay a bill. Gosh, you can even set up an auto pay, um, which I've done, you know, like talk about disconnecting yourself from the work of God. Um, you literally don't have to remember to do it. Um, and again, are all these things like bad? No, but they may be unwise hmm. because they're creating and forming us into people who aren't like Jesus. Jesus is present in people's homes. He, he actually goes into other people's homes and is hospitable to them. <laughs> uh, and he does it all the time. And we could say, well, that's their culture. But I would say, yeah, and our culture is one of anxiety and depression and loneliness. In fact, maybe more than Jesus's culture that was way more communal, we need community now. Like I would, I would make the case that we need community in, in 2023 America more than the early believers needed communi community then because mm -hmm. we're in a culture that's so, you know, we, we have all the food we need, many of us, um, just, the, you know, that type of affluence that we have nationally. Uh, and yet none of the, none of the shoulders to cry on, um, you know, and, and the relationships to have. You, you get where I'm going with this, right, Nick? Like, I'm, you're yeah. with me? In a sense, we're, we're very rich, but in a sense, we're, we're very poor, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think here's where the incarnation is so helpful because, I mean, if anybody, if, if we're talking about technology as something that kind of does something for you, so you don't have to mm -hmm. physically do it as a human body. Um, I think if anybody could have wielded technology to use that term in a way that we don't yeah. usually use it, um, to, to accomplish their purposes without having to involve a human body, it should have been God who can yeah. snap fingers that aren't fingers because God is a spirit and, you know, um, yeah. but he could have bypassed, see, even our, even our metaphors include the human body, um, but, but God, God could have just simply spoken what is Genesis one, but him speaking words and things coming into existence, right? Yeah, he doesn't have yeah. to involve a human body to accomplish his will. And yet the incarnation is the involvement of a human body. Jesus Christ, not just coming down as an adult in perfect form, who's taller than everybody else and stronger than everybody else and better looking than everybody. But he comes as a baby in a womb who has to be born through another human body, grow up completely dependent on human bodies, grows up in community with human bodies, um, and then is nothing to look at, as Isaiah says, right? Um, yeah, so, <laughs> which is so, so fun. I feel like that should be noted, by the way. Yeah. Maybe another downside of technology is nobody wants to put an ugly actor up on the screen. And right. I get it. Except Je for Danny But DeVito. Jesus kind of gives us, like Isaiah gives us the impression that Jesus was probably an unattractive human. Right. Yeah. I just, I don't know. When when can we get the Jesus with missing teeth is all I'm asking. Right. For sure. For I don't, sure. I don't, I don't just Okay. But anyway. Here's, <laughs> like, here's a really funny aside 
the story of Jesus going to Zacchaeus's house, you know, Zacchaeus climbs the tree because he's short. It's it's yeah. actually unclear in Greek whether Zacchaeus is short or whether Jesus is short. So Zacchaeus maybe That's can't funny. see Jesus <laughs> above the crowd, so he has to climb up the tree because Jesus is short. is short. It's unclear. We don't know. Um, so, I wouldn't be surprised. So he was not. Jesus might have been dude. short too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah. anyway, the point is Jesus. God became incarnate in a human body to walk among, to dwell with, to be with other human bodies, um, and even to become dependent on human bodies to the point where he let other human bodies kill him. And it's awkward how much I'm saying human bodies, but I really want to drive home this point that that God in the flesh, right? The bodies yeah. matter. We're yeah. not just yeah, souls yeah. who happen to have these shells around us. God yes. created us in his image, meaning he gave us these physical bodies to bear his image. And he eventually came into one of the images he created. Right. Um, yeah. I, I just think we've, we've lost so much of that when, when we think of connection being texting one another um, mm -hmm. and texting is a great gift. I've got family, uh, a, a lot of family over in Denver and I communicate with them in text over text all the time because I can't be with them face to face. And that is a gift to me. Yeah. But I think when it's possible to be face to face, there's just something different about that. Uh, it reminds me of Genesis too. So, you know, it's so funny because from the very beginning, I mean, we got, you know, spirit hovering over the waters, right? Like we get this mm. feeling that, that God is definitely not human, right? Like he's this, you know, cosmic being in control of everything. And then, you know, Genesis two, God's walking in the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis two and Genesis three actually all through the book of Genesis at one point, this is very weird. Three men are walking by Abraham's tent when he's still Abram, I think. And Abram like stands up and he's like, Oh my gosh, there's Yahweh. You know, like the weirdest stories. Wait, yeah, for it's sure. Such a weird story. You know what I mean? And so really what you're trying to say is, is that Yahweh was walking, was a man walking in Genesis what eight or something. Um, and you get the point, right? Like that even, you know, uh, the tower of Babel, God says, you know, let, let's go down and see what's going on over there. And like, I mm. guess God goes down and checks it out. Like God chooses even we, we, the, 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 the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh would tell us that Jesus, that God is choosing to be present as much as possible with his people and in, in fact as as the human race becomes more distant from god and he chooses his chosen people he still tries like be close to moses uh in fact at one point he tells the whole jewish people like all of them just come up to the mountain and be with me like as close as moses is and they're like no we can't do it so you know <laughs> like you, you, like the the thing is is we often choose to be like the Israelites who would not go up to the mountain to be with God, by which I mean, we choose not to interact with other people who have the Holy Spirit inside of them, who mm. are part of the body. We choose not to do that. And we believe that some of this, the technology, technology based substitutes are, are adequate. And, mm. and I, and, and this is even stuff like, yeah, you know, Phil, I go to church on Sunday. I don't just watch online. Yeah, yeah. But when you go to church, do you spend a majority of your time 
sitting in a chair watching a screen or someone on a stage? Or do you spend a majority of your time looking into the eyes of a brother or sister in Christ and interacting with them in relationship as a part of the church? That's two very different things. And I would say one is a byproduct of technology that has drawn the chair that the, the Christian sits in all into one direction towards the stage where it, we don't, that's probably not how it used to be, right? Like, you know, nah. that, that, that change happened prior to the projector, you know, in the cathedrals, but still, these are still technological advances caused by socio and political causes, right? So I want this noted. I get it. It goes back more than a thousand years. Understand that. But what I'm trying to say is the changes to the structure of the buildings, the technology that's facilitated that, and those types of things have, have created a different type of Christian community that looks less like the Church of Acts that so many of us want to come back to. If we want to go back to that, it means coming into community with no cell phones because it's you know, the cell phone disengages you from the person in front of you. Coming into, com in, into teaching environments and into worship environments that are more analog and more tactile. I think this is Phil's personal bend because those things help facilitate the, the 2023 American Christian. We, we kind of have to lean extra hard into these things because the other elements of our culture are pushing us so far away. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I think... I think the language of go to church um, is actually harmful for us here. Um, if you look, yeah. I think it's in Corinthians, one of the one of the letters to the Corinthians, where Paul is talking about how those who are wealthy and don't have to wait until they're done working to to come gather with their church family, they've been eating the the meal together before the people who have to mm -hmm. finish working first can get there. Um, mm -hmm. And it's describing this church gathering as if they're just getting together for a meal. And like, that's just yeah. what it is, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And there's something about just reclining at the table together that is for the Apostle Paul, a church gathering. Um, and yeah, talking about the the form of the building, it used to be that the the pulpit wasn't in the center of, of the room where everybody's attention was, was directed, but was off to the side so that the communion table, the Eucharist was at the center of the room and was the center of the gathering. Oh yeah, um, that was even during the time of the cathedral. You know, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, yeah, so it wasn't until after Luther's Reformation that that the pulpit got moved into the center, um, and communion got moved off to the side. A and complicated even, figure that Luther guy. He's not the one that did it, but it was after the the Reformation. Just, I um, still blame everything on him. Yeah, complicated, <laughs> okay. no doubt. Yeah. Um, but all that to say, um. Speaking of speaking of technologies, I think even these little the little cups of communion that were so useful during COVID, oh but my gosh. we still use yeah. these little plastic cups with with the the bread on top and the, yeah. the stuff and yeah, the juice in the little cup, um, and yeah, what a what a more divorced way from serving one another and eating together, and just like stay in your seat open your little plastic, take your communion. Cause it's just about you and Jesus, right? You don't, it doesn't have to, yeah. anything to do with you and the person next to you. Um, and that's a this form a of good... technology that allows us to completely mm -hmm. miss the meaning of communion because we've made it convenient with technology that allows the, the cracker and the juice to be in this nice little yeah. bundle. Yeah. And yeah. the point of communion is 
you know, take this in remembrance of me, remembering mm-hmm. Jesus, remembering the blood, rem- but it's also serving one another, eating with one another, being the church family, having a meal together. And I think mm-hmm. we miss that with, with the way we do it. it. And it's a good point to just remind ourselves and remind our listeners too, that like, I don't think there's anybody like twirling their evil mustache that said, yeah, you know, we're sure, going to, sure. you know, we're going to do these things because it'll destroy the church. Like that's not it at all. And and this is actually my argument and why I would agree that we need to slow down an AI. It isn't evil people who set out to create difficulties for individuals in the church to connect. It's, it's the tendency that we have. And I think the sinful tendency that we have to desire and constantly see the, the newest thing is good and it needs yeah. to be had now. And we're not content and we're not going to be able to do what we need to do with just what we have today. We need more. We need you know, the next thing. And, and oh my gosh, the number of times I've heard, you know, we live in a time in which podcasts um, related to church leadership and business leadership are like synonymous. Like they're just like the same thing nowadays, you know? And, uh, you know, conferences that are like for business leaders are also for church leaders. Like we've equated being a church leader to just a a small business owner or a large business owner. And, um, and, and we treat the church like business. What what I'm trying to say is, is in business, you can't be outpaced or you're going to lose. Right. And I think that makes sense for a capitalistic world. I'm pretty sure that will not be like that in the new kingdom. Hmm. I'm holding out for no more capitalism when Jesus comes back personally. Um, but, but the church isn't a business. We're not going to miss out, right? The sovereignty of God will not fail if, if, if pastors just don't use chat GPT. And, and I know that sounds like everyone's like, ha but like, no, seriously, the sovereignty of God will not fail because we stop bringing our cell phones into church service. The sovereignty of God will not fail because we didn't learn and adopt the newest worship song out of Bethel or Hillsong or whatever. Like the sovereignty of God is not dependent on the technology of man, but we sometimes act like it is. And I think there's huge benefits to saying, I, think that maybe some of these things that man is creating for like economic means maybe aren't healthiest for us as humans, crazy idea. And maybe we shouldn't adopt them into our church and we should be slower about it. And I, I, you know, so I'll I'll share a little bit really excited in the coming weeks. We have a a pretty cool interview with um, a guy named Wolfgang Simpson, who's kind of I, I mentally call him like the grandfather of the house church. Like he's kind of been doing the house church thing for a hot minute, many decades, and had a chance to learn from him and his perspective. Now, his perspective would be like fully the house church is the way to go. And he has some reasons for that. But I'll ask, and and so the benefit of a house church is it's much easier to be tactile, to be analog, to just, you know, uh, when I, you know, I pastor home church for a little over a year and a half now. And, you know, for us, we hardly ever use like a TV or anything. People come in, we start, you know, around dinner time, we eat dinner. It's a slow, 
very slow paced kind of evening. We enjoy a long meal together. We clean up together. We come to my living room and we teach. And sometimes they have to listen to me teach for a very long time because it turns out a guy <laughs> like me can just talk forever. And then eventually they tell me to shut up. I'm just getting kind of, and then we, we, we joke and we laugh and we sing hymns together. And, and then, you know, eventually people kind of continue talking and hanging out and eventually trickle out later. It's, it's, it's home church fresh is like four to four to six hour event of just slowly being present with one another. Now that's kind of the extreme case, right? Like, you know, saying I'm going to adopt this type of church model. That's very radically different. Nick, what are some ways that we can, we can be intentional about being more analog and tactile to be formed, to be more like Jesus, to be more relational in a church settings that that's not like a home church, you know, uh, you, you pastor a really cool and amazing church. That's not a home church. That's <laughs> not, you know, like yeah. you get to be a part of a different type of community. So tell me what are some things that you've learned and some things that, um, that you would adopt in your setting? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say that, that at my church, um, there are just to push back on what you were saying a little bit, sometimes those technologies are useful in the sense that like, mm -hmm. if, if we're going to sing, let's say we're going to sing an original song that's coming out of our church and we're singing a, a song from what's going on in our church. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and obviously nobody's going to know the words to that song. So it's incredibly helpful that we can put the lyrics up so we can be as yeah. one body physically using our bodies to lift our voices and sing this song together that nobody's ever heard before. Um, so in that yeah, sense, yeah. like, thank God for that technology. Right. Um, so there mm -hmm. are times when, when the technology is, is useful. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I agree with you. We also need to, when, when we're in a larger church, um, we, we need to be incredibly diligent about making time to be one with our brothers and sisters in Christ outside of just the, the hour and 15 mm. minutes that we're sitting in that room. Um, so whether that's lingering before or after service, um, we've got coffee and donuts at my church and we've got a beautiful courtyard. Um, yeah. And if, if there's, there's always people out there before and after mm. service talking and catching up and, and encouraging one another and praying together. We've got a, we've got a historic chapel on our campus that serves as a prayer chapel for us. So, so during mm. and before and after services, people go in there together to pray or even to take communion together. Um, so there, there are ways on I didn't know Sundays. That. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so there, there are ways on Sundays to be embodied more than just sitting next to one another in, in the service. Um, but I think it goes beyond Sundays too, where yeah. when we're forming these relationships, we can have one another over to our homes. We can go on mission trips together. We can serve together. We can volunteer in schools together. Um, we're in our church. We're just about to take 600 backpacks to a local elementary school that, that has a lot of impoverished children um, that can't afford their school supplies. And so we're just straight mm -hmm. up providing the backpacks filled with school supplies for an entire school. Um, we're about to have mm -hmm. a team that's going to bring those backpacks, drive them to the school, drop them off, bless the teachers, hug them, say, say, pray for them and say how proud of we are of them and the yeah. hard work they're going to do this, this school year. And all these things go above and beyond the Sunday morning, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because church is not just something you go to and, and we say it over and over again, that it's not just a building. Um, church has to be a family that, that works together physically in person. Um, so yeah, I think, I think all of that, that contributes. I, I just want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really like firm on this one and pastors everywhere can thank me later. <laughs> you, 
if you're listening to this, you need to be in some form of small group environment. Mm. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing that almost every church that I've ever been associated with tries to have, you know, e- even if maybe I disagree with the emphasis that they add, you know, maybe sometimes they focus more on the Sunday service than, than those types of groups. I don't think I've ever been to a church or interacted with a church, at least in the communities that I've been uh, lived in, in which the church didn't have an opportunity for people to go to somebody's house on the, during the week and be involved. And I fully can acknowledge that that interacting with people in that intimate of a setting can be difficult and um, a little nerve wracking. I think that's the benefit of the Sunday service to help maybe break some of that ice, you know, and, and introduce people to that environment or just get to know these people, you know, like you talk to someone on Sunday and they might invite you to, to that environment. But I, w- I would say that if you're noticing in yourself the fear of interacting in those interpersonal relationships to take a week and fast technology in your own life, which science has consistently demonstrated <laughs> perpetuates a lot of those feelings. And like this, that's, that is not me saying that it's a simple, easy, get over social anxiety, one, two, three, just give up your phone. But also adhere to the fact that like, you know, if we're trying to make, if you're trying to quit smoking, then maybe just don't have a pack of cigarettes in your car every day. You know what I mean? Like it's, it doesn't mean that it's going to get rid of all your withdrawal symptoms. What it means is you're setting yourself up for failure when you implement this element in your environment. So look for ways to reduce technology in your life to increase the chances that you'll naturally be able to, to eliminate some of those, you know, get, get rid of social media for a week and see if your social anxiety has changed at all. Um, it's again, not that simple usually, but that's one healthy step in the right direction. Yeah. And enter into those communities to the best of your ability, maybe asking someone you do know to, you know, enter into those communities with you. But I'm, I'm just really firm. I, maybe this is too harsh, Nick, I need you to like, check me if it is. Hmm. I don't know. I really don't know if we can follow Jesus as disciples, if we are not in intimate relationships with other disciples. You know, I'm thinking about 1 John. It's this letter that I don't remember who John was writing to. I can't remember, but um, I think he was writing to a variety of churches, actually. But anyways, um, he he says, love one another. He repeats Jesus's words, love one another, like over and over and over again in the letter. And he indicates pretty heavily that your love, and Jesus says this too, but your love for other believers is a sign that you are actually a believer. In fact, he says in First John um, that, I think it's First John 2, that that's a sign that you've passed from death to life, that you love one another. So I wonder how can we be people who've passed from death into life if we're not demonstrating love for one another and how can we demonstrate love for one another if we're not, if, if we're finding reasons not to engage in relationship. Hmm. Right. Is that too harsh? Yeah, I, Help me out. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think, um, I think the, the flip side of you're, you're kind of saying it the negative way that I don't know if you can be, if you don't, but to put it in the positive way, which I think comes from, um, the way Paul wrote about the body of Christ, um, mm. that, that he just assumes 
that if you are if you are enter into Christ, if you're in Christ as a believer, um, then you're also going to become a, a part of his body, which means you are connected to him as the head, but you're also connected to the rest of the body parts. He just assumes that being a mm. Christian means you are one with Christ and with all the other people that Christ came to save. Um, so it's, it's kind of saying the same thing that you're saying, but just the other side of the coin, um, where they're really, you, you don't have one without the other. When you're, when you're grafted into the family of God, you're grafted into all the family of God. It's not just a personal yeah. relationship with you and God. Right. Um, so yeah, mm. yeah, I agree with you that, that to the extent mm. that, that it's possible for you. And, and we realize there are, there's always exceptions. There's, there's those that are homebound and, and, and sick and in the hospital and things like that, where, mm. where it's not physically possible for you to make that effort. Um, but for those that are able, I think, I think you don't have Jesus without Jesus's family, right? Yeah, you you don't that. have, you don't have Christian faith without the people that, that Jesus came to call. Um, mm. you, you, you don't have one without the other. Um, we, we need one another and that's a, a hard mm. pill to swallow in our very individualistic culture, but we really do need one another. Why? Well, I, I need you. And I'm glad you restated that in a much help, more helpful way. Also, we need our producer because we have no one who's going to edit this episode down to time. So we have to wrap up here. Got to wrap it up. Are, are you going to do, are you going to do the guitar? To... Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, while he's, do better this he's doing that, I'll say this. If you've made it this far in the podcast, this is actually a really good point to mention. Go ahead and share this episode with a friend because it should generate conversation. If this is mm. just something you listen to and that's all you're doing and it stays internal, maybe don't. You know, don't just in, in invest, invest in relationship, not in podcast. So if you're going to listen to this, share it with someone, allow it to, to spark conversation that allows you and this other person to grow and to deepen. Mm. Maybe you disagree with us. Talk about that. Uh, you can send us a message, but you, you could just talk about it in a relationship with people who love you and care about you and that you can love and care for. Um, and I think that's the most beautiful element of discipleship. So I love it. There it is. All right. Let's hear the well, outro. Thank you. Yeah. All right. This is it. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Living Room Disciple Podcast. We're, of course, we pray this is a blessing, the conversation that me and Nick are having. We're praying that you continue this conversation in your community, so make sure to share this with others. If you want to know more about the Living Room Disciple, check out our website, livingroomdisciple.com. You can find out ways to support us, like on Patreon, and help make shows like this and, and more amazing things to come happen. We love that support. Huge shout out to uh, Eric Church for giving this podcast to all of you. To Nick O'Brien for performing the music composed <laughs> by Daniel Ramirez. And, you know, even though Anissa didn't produce this episode, honorary thank you to Anissa, who's out doing missions work right now. Thank you all so much for joining us on Living Room Disciple Podcast, where discipleship finds out. Nice.